Lord God, it's, that is your word uh, that has just been read to us. We pray that your word will come to us with power today. We pray that you would speak to us. That you would show us who you are, who we are. You would show us what you have done for us and how we should respond. Lord, you know each of us. I'm just aware there's a group of us sitting in this room and you know what's going on in our lives, in our hearts, questions and thoughts that we have this morning. We invite you to come and speak to us. Amen. Right, so let me introduce you to uh, Trent. Have we got any going to come up? in a moment. Um, Trent is uh, a Christian, uh, but he has a dark secret. So on the surface, everything seems okay. Trent is uh, happily married to Michelle. He's active in church. He knows lots of the Bible. He's got a good job. He's a popular guy. And you'd think, yeah, Trent, all pretty well with him. All is good. But the truth is, is that Trent is addicted to porn. And it sounds extreme to describe it like that, but that's the only really real way to describe it, because he can't get it out of his life. He was first introduced to pornography by his big brother on YouTube when he was uh, just 11 years old. And at first he was pretty revolted by it, but within six months or so, not a day would go by where he didn't watch pornography and masturbate. And so it just became a normal part of his life from a very young age, and it shaped the ways that he thought about the world, shaped the ways that he uh, engaged and related to women. Now, Trent, at the age of 19, became a Christian. And he started to become increasingly concerned about this habit. And in the first year of being a Christian, he had some uh, victories. Sometimes he'd even go two weeks without watching pornography. But it never lasted very long. A few times he's asked guys in the church to pray for his issues with lust. But he's never really discussed in any depth his problems. And to be honest with you, they never really asked enough questions, so he didn't really have to say much more than that. He's tried accountability software on, on his computer once, but he found other ways to access things, and it just didn't really work out for him. Trent has never spoken to his wife, Michelle, about his problem. He's too ashamed to. He didn't mention it in the marriage prep uh, before they got married, when they did marriage prep, because he thought, he was convinced that marriage was going to sort the problem, so he just thought, I don't need to mention it, it won't be a problem anymore. But now it is as bad as ever, and his sex life and his marriage is an absolute state because of his attitude and approach to sexual intimacy is completely warped by pornography. And he's driving himself deeper and deeper into his habit. It doesn't help him. It doesn't make him happy. It doesn't satisfy him in any way, but he knows no other way. And he can't escape. And he's thinking, I never will escape from this. That's Trent. The question is, what difference do you think the cross of Christ, these these series of sermons are all about the death of Jesus, aren't they? What difference does that make? for Trent in that situation. 
What about for you? I mean, that, that is kind of one example of a, a pattern of sin that is on repeat in someone's life. And it might be something different for you, but, but we all have them, these things that we just can't seem to shake and get rid of, and we want to, but they're, they're there hounding us. It might be anger for you. It could be gossip. It might be self-harm. It might be hours binging on Netflix or gaming. It might be kind of escapism through social media and, and, com- and excessive comparisons to others on social media. It might be out-of-control shopping or binge-eating and then purging and binge-eating and then purging. It could be gambling. It could be any one of a number of things, these things that kind of repeat in our lives. The kind of things that we don't really talk about, right? Don't tend to talk about it too quickly, but Christians struggle with and feel that they can't escape. So is the cross of Christ just there to pick us up, forgive us when we fall into it again, and that's about it? Well, no. Yes, it is there to do that, but no, there is more. Okay, There is a greater hope. And this is the, the title of, of the talk today. I can't escape this pattern of sin. Jesus is my redemption. I can't escape this pattern of sin. Jesus is my redemption. See, this is, this is the big Bible word. Toby's already said it. It's redemption. And, and let me just tell you what that is. Let's define it straight away so we kind of understand what we're talking about. It is people being bought out of slavery to sin and into a new freedom through Jesus' death on the cross. It's being bought out of a slavery to sin into a new freedom through Jesus' death on the cross. This word redemption um, comes from, from the slave markets. This kind of horrible uh, idea of, of people being forced into slavery by other people and being trapped by another person and kind of subject to their will and, and, and what they say. But what could happen is that a slave could be redeemed and that's where uh, at the slave market they could be set free if someone came and paid the price for the slave to set them free at the market. And so redemption, you see, comes at a cost. See, to to set a slave free, there's there's a price that has to be paid. Someone has to to pay the price for the slave in order to to set them free, and that price is the ransom. You see it in films. If you've got a film with like a hostage situation, and the people who have taken hostages say, you've got to pay a ransom before we let them go, right? And that's a lot of money they're looking for. Or is that the price that is paid for the freedom? Now here's the thing, right? Once the price has been paid, once a slave has been set free, that old owner might come and they might come and say, no, no, you come back here, slave. You do, you do what I say. You're, you're mine. But of course the slave says, no, I'm not. You can't tell me what to do anymore. I've been set free. You have no authority over me anymore. I've been redeemed. Uh, Redemption's this big, big idea in the Bible. Big idea in the Bible story. And actually, there's a very famous story, which is, if you like, the kind of the big story of redemption outside of Jesus dying on the cross. And it's the story of the Exodus, which we need to be familiar with as Christians because it's so important. That's where God rescued his people Israel from slavery in Egypt through the cost 
of the sacrifice of the lamb in each household. And he set them free and he took them to be his people. Pharaoh's power and the Egyptians' power over them was broken by God, redeeming them and setting them free. And so we need to see, and Trent needs to see, that Jesus, if we're a Christian, is our redemption. Jesus is our redemption. Trent needs to realize that. But then the question is, well, how does that help? How does the fact that Jesus has redeemed us help us with this sin that just keeps on going on in repeat, repeat, repeat in our lives? Well, uh, Titus 2 was, was the Bible reading we had. If you, if you have a look back there, please, it's on page 1199, 1199. And it shows us these three things, these three groundbreaking realities about Jesus' redemption that helps us overcome the patterns of sin in our lives. And, and this, is, this is what I want to say this morning. It's very simple, really. That's what we see in this passage. Redemption means that we are set free from sin to do what is good. So what we're going to see this morning. So I want to say, we are set free from sin to do what is good. So firstly, we are set free. See, Trent says, I can't escape this pattern of sin. I can't get rid of pornography in my life. It's just there and I can't get rid of it. And you know what? In one sense, he's right. He can't escape it by himself. Because redemption is all about rescue. The whole point of it is you can't do it yourself. A slave can't free itself. No, it needs to be redeemed. You see, this is the way the Bible describes our state as people. It says that we are slaves to sin. You see, sin is a funny word because in our culture we kind of misunderstand it. It's not just the naughty stuff that we do. No, sin is the domain in which we live. It is the very way of being and living that we cannot escape. A way of being uh, living in God's world, ignoring him. And then it's the thoughts and the actions that come out of that. So it becomes the stuff that we do. But it's this place that we reside that we cannot escape. We're enslaved. See, we think that without God, we're truly free. We think that we can do what we want. I can live as I like. I can set the rules of my life. Nobody's telling me what to do. I'm following my heart. That's true freedom. But actually... Actually, rather than the world becoming our oyster and us being really free, we find that our options get shut down. All we can only actually do in the end is follow what our heart wants, even when that's destructive. All we can do is follow our desires. We're trapped by them, and then we get stuck in these patterns of behavior that we don't like, but we can't stop. That's what it looks like to be enslaved. And and we can be enslaved and entrapped in in, in different ways and by different means. It's quite complex. So we could maybe have an addiction or or something become addictive for us, like Trent says about his pornography, and that kind of reinforces things. Or we could be influenced by other people, led astray by them, or, or slightly trapped by them, or their opinions we kind of become enslaved by. 
Or we have the power of habit that reinforces its way in our life in really unhelpful ways. You see, so much is promised with a life without God, and yet so little is delivered. Pornography is just the perfect example of this. It promises sexual fulfillment. It promises variety and adventure. It even promises some kind of connection with others in some strange way. And yet what does it actually deliver? Frustration, monotony, dissatisfaction, loneliness, isolation, boredom. And not only that, but it takes away all of the potential for those good things in a good marriage, in sex, because it kind of erodes all of those good things. You know, the worst kind of slavery is a slave that doesn't know they're in slavery. Where they've, they've been convinced by their slave master they're really free, but they're at the beck and call of the owner. It's a kind of slavery that people are in outside of Jesus. Oh, sorry. And that's actually why Trent is not in the worst place he could be. Because he's got this sense that, he, that all is not well. Yeah, he, he's kind of like, I can't, this is not good, I, can't, I want to escape this, I can't escape it. He knows he's trapped in a pattern of sin, and he feels he can't escape Listen, if you have that same kind of feeling about whatever it is, then there's something to be encouraged by here. If, if, if your repeated gossiping is a source of frustration for you, or, or if your compulsive use of social media you see as a problem, then be encouraged, because that means the Spirit is at work in your heart, kind of bringing some discomfort and some conviction about that. You see, what Trent needs to realize is that yeah, he can't escape himself. He needs to be delivered, he needs to be rescued, redeemed from sin by someone or something else who is powerful to do that. And Jesus has done that. Jesus is powerful. Jesus is Trent's redemption. Yes, he needs to be redeemed, and he has been redeemed. He has been set free. That's what it says in verse 14, there on page 1199. It says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. You could understand redeem there as kind of being liberated or set free, like a a slave would be. And how does he do that? He does that by giving himself for us. That's the price he paid, giving his life on the cross to free us. see, all of this is what Paul calls, in verse 11, the appearing of God's grace. He says it's the appearance of God's grace that brings our salvation, our rescue. God's grace is, his unders- is, is, is the, the kindness and, un- and favor that he gives to us that we don't deserve it. His undeserved kindness to us. And God did that by Jesus paying the price to set us free. The price of giving his life. You see, redemption is not something we earn or we choose. Redemption is something that happens to us. 
It's not even really our choice. It's like we're kind of there just in, in, in the slave market, if you will, and we're kind of plucked out of slavery and the price is paid for our freedom. It's got nothing to do with us. In fact, very often it's in spite of us, even against our wishes. Well, when I, um, I, I kind of describe my, my experience and my journey as very much being a reluctant Christian. It's very obvious to me in my life. I was looking to get away from God and live a life without him. But he kind of grabbed me by the scruff of the neck and was like, no. No. Taking you out of the slavery of life, avoiding me. I've redeemed you and you're mine. I'm setting you free. So that is what happened. We have been set free for a Christian. We have been redeemed. How should that change how we live? Well, this this is what it looks like. We've been set free from something, and we've been set free to something. So we've come from somewhere, and we've gone to somewhere. Here's where we've been set free from. Set free from sin. Christians have been set free from sin. This is the, the big lie that we believe about our sin as Christians. We believe it is inevitable. We believe our sin is inevitable. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that Christians don't commit sins. We're not perfect. You spend, uh, well, you spent enough time here today to know that from people you've met and seen. But we, we battle remaining sin until we, the day we die. But listen, it is not inevitable in any particular circumstance that we will sin or that we can't help but sin. So Trent feels that he can't escape this pattern and, and it's not possible to and he thinks he's stuck and it's just inevitable that this is going to carry on through his life. And that's what patterns of sin do because they repeat and they embed their way into our life and they wear us down and we just get used to them. And, and because our binge eating and purging hasn't delivered us the body we want, we have to keep going with it, we think, until we get the body we want. Because gambling never quite scratches the itch or gives us the rewards that we want, we have to bet a bit more and go again. And in the end, it just becomes what we do and just kind of, we give up trying to fight it. We think there's no hope. Listen, look look at verse 12, Titus 2, what, what the Apostle Paul says to Christians, he blows that out of the water. He says that God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Teaches us to say no. So it's not just that we should stop those ways of living, but he says in Jesus you are taught and you are free to stop them. For the very first time you can say no. Because in him you have been redeemed. You know that the slave that's been freed is no longer under the control of the old owner. So he only comes and shouts some, some instructions, tries to call the shots. Slave's like, no, I'm free. I've been bought out. Sin cannot make you do anything. You can say no to your passions and desires that you know are wrong. Do you know that? You can say no. Grace teaches and trains us to do so. Sin is not inevitable. You are not enslaved to it anymore if you're a Christian. You can say no. 
Well, how, how can we say no? How can Trent say no to this pattern of pornography and not enslave himself in it again? Well, there's two things that Jesus has done. He's paid the penalty for Trent's sin. And he's disarmed the power of sin in Trent's life. See, knowing that the, the penalty of sin is paid frees us to be more honest about our struggle with sin. You see, there's shame and embarrassment and pride that have kept this uh, a, a private struggle in Trent's life, basically. Do you know what happens when we have something like this that's private and only we know about going on? It flourishes through our life. We give it space to breathe. But, you know, knowing Jesus has paid the penalty for that sin, and that penalty is done, well, that enables us to own up to our sin. Enables us to own up to how big our problem is. And to talk to others and get their help. That's what it might look like for Trent. It looked like him being honest with his wife. Confessing his sin to her. It looked like him asking her for forgiveness. And then seeking to live out repentance and restore their marriage if she's willing to stay with him. It would also look like him being honest with other guys in the church who can help him work out and learn what saying no looks like for him. How grace teaches and trains him to say no in his life. How he needs to change things about his lifestyle, learn new patterns of thought, new commitments that he might need to make so he does not return back to his slavery. You see, but being freed from the penalty of his sin enables him to have those kind of conversations with people he trusts. And so it helps him to work out how to say no and how to say yes to what is good and right. But also knowing that the power of sin is diffused. It's like the bullets are taken out of the weapon, if you like. Trent now has the powerful spirit of the living God at work in his life. So quite frankly, it is not a fair fight. If you're a Christian, your firepower is from the stock that raises the dead back to life. Sin has not got a chance. It has not got a chance in the end. So knowing we have that power gives us the guts to fight the good fight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, you might not be into kind of combat sports and that kind of thing, but I am a little bit, so I think about it. And, And if you're going to fight an opponent, you can apply it in other areas of life. I think you can apply it in business as well. You need to understand their strategy, understand what they're going to do, and learn how to fight back and, and how to, to, to resist. And you need to know them, right? That's exactly the same here. So yeah, the power of sin is gone, but we can do well to understand how sin operates and works. And, and, and that happens on many layers. It's like a multi, it's an MMA fight. You've got to have many different disciplines, okay, that, that you can fight. Whatever the pattern is, it's it's about taking control of the thought life and developing new disciplines and unlearning bad habits and sometimes giving time for even physiological and chemical changes to take effect. With pornography and masturbation, it's, it's something like 30 to 90 days of abstinence to really break the power of the chemical things going on in your body. And the first 14 days are the hardest. 
to understanding and knowing that, you've got to equip yourself to, to work through that and fight that. You're going to have to give time to restoring relationships that are broken by the sinful patterns you've been in. You're going to have to have your views of other people reshaped and you're going to have to deliberately bring people into your life at different situations and times and circumstances to help you. There's many different levels and ways in which we fight this fight. And at every point, it is God's grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, no to worldly passions, no to wickedness in our host of ways. Listen, that's the Christian life. It, it takes time. It's ongoing. You speak to someone who's been a Christian many years, they're still walking that road, fighting that fight. But listen, isn't it different that you've been set free? It's not that you're trying to get free. You're not trying to escape that prison. You've been set free from that prison. You've already escaped, and so sin has no final power over you anymore. We need to believe that because it's true. And believing that helps us to fight hard and fight well. This is what we've been set free from, and this is what we've been set free to, to do what is good See that there in verse 14. Jesus has redeemed us to purify a people, his very own, who are eager to do what is good. A people that are his very own. You see, if you're a Christian, then you are under new ownership. There is is new management running your life. It's not just that you've been freed from slavery to sin, but it's now you're now God's special possession. You belong to God. And this says you're being purified. It's as if God's got his special kind of jewelry that he loves to wear, and he's polishing it and making it beautiful, his precious jewelry that he delights in. That's you. And that's why we see Not only does God's grace in verse 12 teach us to say no, but it also teaches us to say yes. Say yes to living in self-controlled ways. Yes to living upright and godly lives in this present age. It's like this. It's like we've been transferred from one team to the other. Imagine um, uh, Che Adams is the top scorer for, for Birmingham City this year, for the Blues. Imagine he wants a taste of premiership football, so he gets transferred this summer to Villa. So you can play in the in the Premiership next season. See, <laughs> so, uh, Blues and Villa are kind of big rivals. Okay, it's, uh, that that'd be a pretty interesting transfer. So he runs out of Villa Park the first game of the season next year, and he's wearing his Blues kit. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you, I dread to think what what would the Villa fans be saying and thinking. You know, it's crazy. That's his old team. He's not them anymore. What are you doing? You're a villa man now. I think the same for, for Trent. Every time he goes back to porn again and again, it's like he's playing for his old team. Trent, that's not who you are anymore. You don't belong there anymore. Get rid of that kit. You have been redeemed you have been bought at a great cost you have been set 
free. And so now you can do what is good. In actual fact, this is so profound a thing. But elsewhere, Paul, who wrote this, he wrote another letter to Christians in Rome. In chapter 6 of that letter, he describes it in this way. He says it's like it's a new form of slavery. But he means it in a really good way. He says, now, for the Christian, you are a slave to righteousness. Righteousness is moral perfection and goodness. He says, Christians, you are a slave to moral perfection and goodness. Do you know what that means? It means for the Christian, it's not that sin is inevitable. It's that moral goodness is inevitable. You can't but become morally perfect and good. That has to be worked out in your life. That is going to happen because of the power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in you. That is who we are now. We're in a new team. You see, there's this, there's this other lie that Christians often believe, and it's this. It's that grace, that's God's kindness to us that is undeserved, means it doesn't really matter how I live. It means it doesn't really matter what's going on in my life. It's as if God's written this free check of forgiveness. And so we just don't need to get hung up on that lifestyle stuff because God's got it covered. Jesus sets us free from worrying about that. But listen, that is not what Paul says here. He says, Jesus in his grace sets us free to live in a new way. He sets us free to something new, to a way that we could never otherwise live without his redemption. You see, grace has an agenda. Grace has an agenda. It's got some stuff to teach us, some stuff to train us in. God isn't content just to leave us where we are, but he wants these remarkable characters in us of godliness and of doing good and of purity and of self-controlled and of being upright in this present age. He wants us to become self-controlled where before there were angry outbursts. He wants our thoughts to be pure where previously they were depraved. He wants us to learn to do good with our money or just spending it frivolously or gambling it away. See, this is true freedom. To do what is good, to do what is right and to be eager to do what is good and what is right. That is the life that is given to us as Christians. It is the life that is given to Trent and that he can now live in. And that we can live in too. Jesus has redeemed us. He has redeemed your life for good and not for sin. So our lives have been set free at great cost. And don't you just think then, isn't Isn't sin just a nuisance? Isn't it just a pain in the butt? Don't you just want it to be gone forever and done with? Do you see in the middle of the passage there, verse 13, what we're waiting for? We're not awaiting for the appearance of grace when Jesus came and lived and then died and rose again. 
They were waiting for the appearing of glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You see, the penalty of sin has been paid. The power of sin is disarmed and diffused. And one day the presence of sin will be gone. It will be completely removed from our lives and from this world. And that is in the day, the appearing of Jesus Christ when he returns. When he comes back to finish his work of redemption, the presence of sin is gone. Once and for all. And our freedom and our redemption is complete. That is what we wait for. And that is what we hope for. As we live in this present age, we look forward to that blessed hope. We live the freedom that we have in Jesus today. We know we're set free from sin. We know we're set free to do what is good. We look forward to when he will come and all sin will be gone. And therefore, everything that comes with it that is terrible and horrible will be gone. That is a hope, an eager hope in which we wait and we do what is good. Let's pray. Lord, you have done what we could not do ourselves. We started by singing that we were lost and we were caught up in our sin. In the darkest night. And yet your light has shone. You have plucked us out of darkness and into light. You have given us a new family, a new home, a new team. And by your spirit, you know, enable us to do good. Help us to live good lives, good redeemed lives, freed lives, whilst we wait for Jesus to come back. We pray. Amen.